play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Cairo, Seattle. And this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, Moby. He only has one name. He's like Oprah. He's like Cher. But he's Moby. He's a musician and producer best known for his electronic and dance music. And he has a new memoir out now called Then It Fell Apart. He starts with his childhood and then he jumps to the 90s and tells stories about his life as a famous person who lived the stereotypical rock and roll lifestyle. Sex, drugs, alcoholism, this was Moby's life until he got sober in 2008. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I loved fame, and the thought of not being famous terrified me. Um, Now, I know that it's not special, so it's very easy to, like, not go to celebrity parties, to not go to the Met Ball, and feel perfectly fine and, you know, be happier staying home rather than making the effort to go hang out with a bunch of avid celebrities. Moby's also a huge animal activist. He owned a tea shop in New York City for 12 years, and now he owns a vegan restaurant in Los Angeles called Little Pine. Do you play any of your own music? Not in a restaurant, no. That's one of the rules we have for the restaurant. There will never be a picture of me in the restaurant. There will never be a mention of my name. And Moby's last meal is oh so Moby. He worships at the feet of the fruit that doesn't rhyme with anything. A fruit that is very appealing indeed. Aren't you glad I made that pun? Aren't you glad I'm gonna stop punning now? So in honor of this fruit, I paid a visit to Seattle's famous Pike Place Market to chat with Mike Osborne, owner of Sazio's Produce. I probably don't go 10 minutes of my day without putting a piece of fruit in my mouth. I learned quickly that Mike knows a lot about fruits and vegetables, but not a lot about pop culture. And I'm supposed to know who Don Stamos is, right? Don Stamos. Oh, okay. I'm supposed to know. Okay. All of that coming up. But first, my interview with Moby. So like I mentioned, Moby has a new memoir out. And he's been in the news quite a bit over the past few weeks because of an excerpt in this book. In the book, he talks about dating a young Natalie Portman. And then Natalie Portman came out and said, actually, we never dated. Moby insists that they did. And after a flurry of social media posts where Moby defends himself and then finally apologizes, he has decided to cancel the remainder of his book tour. So I just wanted to make a note that we did this interview before any of that went down. I want to talk about your restaurant because it's amazing that it's a nonprofit restaurant. Can you talk about how that works? Yeah. The way it works is the restaurant covers its expenses and then anything beyond that, which falls into the realm of like net profit, I give to animal rights organizations. And I also, with this book that I just released, Then It Fell Apart, I'm doing the same thing where 100% of my profits go to animal rights organizations. My last three or four albums, I did that as well. Um, because basically, I live a pretty simple life. I have a, a nice, fairly simple home in Los Angeles. And when I make money, I'd rather give it all to organizations that do remarkable work 
rather than just spend it on stuff that I would end up not caring about, like trying to help, you know, political candidates I like and organizations who are doing good work. To me, that's just a much better use of money than going on a stupid vacation or buying a pair of expensive shoes. How long did it take you to get to that point? Because I'm assuming since you grew up poor and then you suddenly became very rich with your career, did you blow a lot of money for a long time? Oh, yeah. When I started to become famous, successful, wealthy, I assumed that fame and wealth and success were going to fix all of my problems. You know, I really thought that like every part of me that was broken from, you know, childhood trauma and growing up poor, all those things were going to be healed and fixed with fame and wealth. Not surprisingly, that wasn't the case. So, I mean, I spent really, at times, really stupidly. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's easy for me to try and give away as much money as I can now is that when I spent money foolishly on myself, it didn't make me happy and no one benefited, I guess, except for the people who were selling me things. Moby owns a vegan restaurant in L.A.'s Silver Lake neighborhood called Little Pine. He named it for his lifelong love of pine trees. You've been a vegan for 31 years, and you're trying to tell people that even if you don't have money, you can still afford to be a vegan. So can you kind of talk about, you know, your financial state back when you started and your now famous 75-cent meal? When I first became a vegan, that was in 1987, and I was living in an abandoned factory in Connecticut, and I didn't have heat, and I didn't have a bathroom, and I didn't have running water. I had a little hot plate that I cooked on. And I used to buy water at the bodega around the corner. And I also at the time was making around $2,000 a year. So on average, like my maximum food budget during that time was about $10 a week. And I ate pretty well. Like I had a lot of brown rice and a lot of beans, a lot of carrots, a lot of onions, like, you know, just like the inexpensive vegetables, nothing too fancy. So I had a really solid, healthy diet for less than $10 a week. And what's your 75 cent recipe? Oh, I could think of lots of them. I mean, one would be super simple, just like brown rice, lentils, garlic, onions. One of my sort of like healthy winter soup recipes, it would be just like a miso broth. And of course, as I'm sure you know, and anyone listening knows, like the key to miso is you never put boiling water in it because it's a living food. I so didn't know that. Take, oh, yeah. It's a fermented food and it's alive. So the idea is you're not supposed to kill the active culture. So really, miso broth should never be above about 130 degrees. Um, so you make your miso broth and you add scallions and toasted sesame seeds and chunks of tofu. And then you boil your udon or soba and then add it all together. And it's great. And when he was developing the concept for the restaurant, he had really strong opinions of what he didn't want his restaurant to be. He didn't want to open a vegan restaurant with a hippie granola vibe. And after eating so much bad vegan food over the years, he insisted that it be delicious. Well, the idea with Little Pine was to create just a really nice, unpretentious, but like well-designed restaurant with great service and great food, but that just happened to be vegan. As you know, like a lot of vegan restaurants, you kind of know they're vegan from the moment you walk into them. Yeah, I read something about, you know, no Birkenstocks, none of that kind of classic 70s alfalfa sprout stuff. 
I mean, if someone comes in wearing Birkenstocks, that's fine. But like <laughs> our staff, especially like the, the the people who work on the floor, like they wear white button down shirts and they have matching aprons. And it's very sort of like simple and traditional, you know, of course, people can come in and do whatever they want. I mean, you can come in wearing jeans and flip flops or, you know, cutoffs, but like the quality of service and food and wine and everything is a bit more elevated, I think, than people would usually expect to find at a vegan restaurant. Go online and look at the menu of Little Pine. I think everything sounds so good. There are roasted carrots with smoked almond ricotta, thyme, and micro basil, and lots of comfort foods like vegan mac and cheese and shepherdess pie made with French lentils, shiitake and criminy mushrooms, tempeh, and mashed potatoes, and apparently a little bit of feminism as well. What's your favorite dish on the menu? That's a really good question. I have to say we were having a Christmas or like a holiday party and the staff made pizza for themselves and I tasted it and I was like, why are we not serving this? Like this is the best vegan pizza I've ever had. Why are you guys just making it for yourselves? That's probably one of my favorite things. And it's a it's an interesting take on pizza because the instead of using a tomato based marinara, we have it's a romesco base with fennel and spinach and a house-made vegan sausage. And it's it's really, really good. All right, so we got vegan pizza topped with vegan sausage, 75-cent udon soup. These are a few of Moby's favorite things, but they are not special enough to qualify as his last meal. When we come back, Moby will share his last meal. And it was so different than any last meal that anyone has ever shared with me that it made me make these sounds. What? Why? We'll be right back. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Palsbo, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest, and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P, or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. If you like listening to Your Last Meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh available anytime, anywhere at cascadepbs.org or find a link in the show notes. Make sure you're following Your Last Meal on Instagram. I'm Your Last Meal Podcast. And if you're new to listening, welcome. 
make sure and go back and check out some of my favorite episodes, like my interview with one of my very favorite funny people, actor Jenny Slate. Oh, Jenny Slate is the best. And this is the episode that earned us the James Beard nomination. I love ordering room service and I love taking things out of the mini bar and because as a kid it's like don't even go near that fridge you got to be crazy you know if you think you're gonna like open a coke like that's insane and sometimes so like I, I really like that I don't feel a fear anymore I'm like straight up like Ugh! like it's it's delight and author Augustine Burroughs who is hilarious wonderfully eccentric and a very good storyteller. I love my dead granny. Dead granny was great. She had a, like a mink bathrobe and slept with a little pearl-handled gun under her pillow. <laughs> Are you serious? Totally. Did she uh, glue the pearls on herself? No. This wasn't she like was an great. early bedazzling Bedazzling? No, no, no. no. <laughs> okay. It was like a mother of pearl handle. It was like a lady gun, a southern lady gun. And now, back to Moby and Moby's last meal. For my last meal, so this might sound strange, because on one hand, my first thought is like, oh, I would have like vegan tacos and vegan chocolate cake and all sorts of crazy indulgent vegan food. But as weird as this might sound, I might have just one perfect organic orange. What? Why? I know it because... Okay, here's my challenge to you or anyone listening. The next time you eat an orange, like if it's a really beautiful orange, take your time and notice every last detail. It's almost like an exercise in mindfulness. Like notice the skin, how it smells, what it looks like, the texture, all these things. And like in a way, not to sound like some cliched meditator, which I guess I am, like a phenomenal organic orange is like a miracle. So I would just have my one last orange and spend a lot of time sort of being in awe of it. What kind of oranges do you like best? Uh, I guess just a good old-fashioned, like, organic Valencia. I'm kind of ignorant when it comes to oranges. I'm sure there's a lot of nuance to them, but I just know, like, the basics, like blood orange, clementine, Valencia. The round ones. Yeah, the round ones. The round orange ones, yeah. I recently learned about Cara Cara oranges, which I had never had before. And I took a cooking class where we were supreming the oranges, which I had never done. And now I'm obsessed with doing that because you cut out all of the pith. And so it's just the best part of the orange that you get to eat. Is the pith basically the white stuff? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I have sort of an appreciation for the pith because I'm sure it's like high in fiber and has great health benefits but yeah when there's an orange that doesn't have a whole lot of it or this new thing you've just taught me about supreming yeah it sounds like some weird like thing that millennials do that i don't want to know about <laughs> it's probably something diana ross invented yeah get it diana ross and the supremes orange you glad i made that joke okay there's like one orange pun and i've used it three times so far i'm done So this is what supreming is. You take your orange and you cut off the top and the bottom so it can sit flat on the counter. And then you take your knife and you carve the peel off. Like you go around the curve of the orange. It's very satisfying and you feel like a fancy chef person. Uh, And you make sure and take all of the white stuff off. And then you get a little knife, a little paring knife, and you cut out each segment. So you do it between the membranes, all the white stuff that kind of gets chewy in your mouth. Um, So all that you're left with are these 
perfect little segments. They're like little jewels without any of the gross pith, and you can chew them, and you get to feel superior to other people. Because number one, you've just spent like 15 minutes carving an orange. And number two, you get to say supreming. And most people don't know what that means. So you look fancy and you get to explain it to them like I'm doing right now. Don't I seem fancy? Okay, back to Moby and his single organic orange. Um, You talked about eating an orange in a mindful way. Is that something that you do when you eat oranges usually? Well, sometimes. And I mean, like regarding food in general, like sometimes I'll have a beautiful plate of food and try and be present for every bite. And sometimes I just gobble spaghetti while watching Game of Thrones. Like I, I, it's nice to have a balance between the two. Moby wants a single organic orange eaten mindfully for his last meal. I'm saying this with my fingers in the air like I'm in a yoga class with my thumb pressed to my middle finger because we all feel a little more zen after listening to Moby talk about an orange. So I visited a guy who has been working very intimately with oranges for the past 28 years. Peaches and cherries, folks. Cherry season is here, folks. Two pounds, 15 Rainier cherries here now. Mike Osborne owns Sazio's Produce, right smack dab in the middle of Seattle's beautiful and historic Pike Place Market, just down the corner from the guys who throw the fish. Nobody sleeps through a sale at Sazio's, okay? I've been in the market for 46 years, so I did uh, 18 years of retail fish before I got here. How old are you? I have to because you don't look old enough to have like you're adding all these numbers, and I'm like, is he a hundred? Well, I'm just shy of a hundred. I on some days. No, I'm sixty years old. I started when I was fourteen. I worked sixty six hours a week for a dollar seventy five an hour my first summer down there. Richest fourteen year old you'll ever ever meet. I'm sixty years old. I work seven days a week. I live right across from the market. Um, I come to work every day because I choose to come to work every day, and. I choose it because it's one of the funnest things I do. Mike is just as much an entertainer and a tour guide as he is a salesman. The market gets about 15 million visits a year, okay? It's about 100,000 people a day this time of year. So it's, you know, one of the top five most visited places in the country. So I'm here to talk to you because I interviewed Moby. Do you know who Moby is? The only Moby I know is Moby Dick. Fact. Moby's real name is Richard Melville Hall. His great, great, great uncle was Herman Melville, who is the author of Moby Dick. And he's had the nickname Moby since he was a little baby. Are you serious? Yes, which made me so happy because, you know, like when someone gives themselves a one name, it's like, (laughs) oh, when did you decide you were Moby? Right. Moby. It's like, oh, your mom decided when you were a little baby. We all like you better now. (laughs) Except for Natalie Portman. Moby, who is famous not only for music but for being a vegan, he told me that he wants to eat for his last meal a single organic orange, and he wants to eat it mindfully. He wants to peel it slowly and really savor it and enjoy it. How do you eat an orange? Do you do that? Do you mindfully eat an orange? Oh, hell no. I cut mine and just throw it in my mouth. I love them, so I will eat it as quickly as I can get. When I'm eating a Setsuma, it's... I'm peeling the next one as I'm eating the first one because I love them. I'll eat four, five, six of them. I'm in the industry. So fruit is in my mouth constantly during the day. To actually sit down and eat one piece of fruit probably doesn't happen in my life much. But I probably don't go... 10 minutes of my day without putting a piece of fruit in my mouth. 
Keeps the doctor away. Yes. It, well, I'm never sick, so that's it. You know, I, I work 90 hours a week, and I've, I've, I was telling one of my employees, I, it took me 23 years before I had my first sick day down here, and I've never been late. Never got scurvy either. Nope, there is no scurvy at Sazio's, that's for sure. No, we don't allow that. So oranges, there are several ways to peel them. How do you like to eat an orange? I eat the orange the way, same way I sample it down here. So we sample with a knife. I just cut a wedge out, and then I just literally take a bite of it, and I throw the rind on the floor. I also do that at home, and my wife gets really mad because I'm not supposed to throw it on the floor at home, but I have a hard time separating myself. Um, The actual peeling of oranges, you know, some people start it with their fingernail, uh, which just gets a mess. I think starting it with a knife is the easiest way. I hate starting with my nail. It's a gross feeling, and then your nail is yellow, and it feels waxy. Yeah, and you will have that in your nail for the rest of the day. If you bite your nails, it's not a bad thing because it tastes better than what it normally would. Mike takes fruits and vegetables very seriously. He prides himself on only stocking the best stuff, and he loves to teach people how to pick out the best produce and teach them what's in season. So what's your favorite if you're talking like all the varieties of oranges and mandarins and clementines and cuties and all those things? Which do you like the best? I think my favorite is the uh, tree-ripe satsuma that we get uh, that's produced by Blue Jay Farms. And they're, I don't even, you can't even compare them to a cutie, clementine, or a halo. Those three citruses are, in my mind, the lowest grade citruses you can buy. My one-year-old grandson knew the difference. He ate satsumas from me. That's all he ate. Loved them. He ate five a day. Went to uh, some friend's house, and they had cuties and they put him on his plate well he doesn't know he looked like the same thing he put it in his mouth he took it out and threw it on the floor i mean a one-year-old can tell the difference you know so that's you know that's what it is so is it just good marketing because obviously the cuties thing is total marketing to have like that cute name and the labels and the stickers and stuff oh yeah they spend thousands and millions and millions of dollars on marketing and it's a small piece of citrus that will fit into people's lunches and it's unfortunate so you know, people, it looks the same. So if it looks the same, why should they pay more money for it? Because there's nobody in the store to tell them. Uh, you know, the produce guy was stuck in toilet paper the week before. He doesn't know. And so there's nobody there to tell them and sample them like they have down here. What time of the year is the time of year to eat oranges in season if you want to eat American oranges? Because they're in the grocery store year-round. I don't even think people know they have a season. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Unfortunately, that's a big point for me is we know very little about what we eat. The time to eat citrus is wintertime, okay? So the satsuma that I was talking about, Starts in the middle of November. As a matter of fact, uh, nine out of the last ten years, it started on November 16th. Why do I know that? Because that's my wedding anniversary. So I know that. But something that I wish there was a way to get that to the general public so they don't have to waste their food dollar. It's not because I want people to come down and spend more money down here. I want people to just stop wasting food and stop taking a bite of something and throwing it in the garbage. Because maybe if we stopped buying junk out of the store, maybe the store would stop bringing in junk. This is an out-of-season interview. Yeah, yeah, it is. But uh, it's an interview that is always useful. Sazios does post on Instagram when they get new in-season fruit in, so Mike tries to educate people that way. And Mike says if it's not winter, look for citrus fruit grown in Australia or New Zealand. Their seasons are opposite of ours, so when it's summer here, 
It is winter there, and their citrus fruit will be in season. Oh, and I just wanted to add, because I was curious if the color orange came first or the fruit came first, the fruit was called orange first, and then the color was named after it. Facts. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Moby reveals his favorite junk food. And yes, it's not a junk food that anyone else in the world would think is a junk food because he's Moby. Moby. He's Moby. (laughs) We'll be right back. Moby grew up with a single mom and they never had very much money. In his new memoir, he talks about drinking watered-down milk and orange juice and buying groceries with food stamps. Well, growing up, I ate as much junk food as I could get my hands on. And we also, like, we found a grocery store in our neighborhood where the guy would sell cigarettes to my mom with food stamps. So I never went hungry, but there was always a fear, like, there was always scarcity. I remember my mom on Sunday nights having to borrow money just to buy enough groceries to sort of get us through the next few days. Recently, he's been outspoken about food stamps. He doesn't think people should be allowed to buy non-nutritious food with them. You're not allowed to buy alcohol. You're not allowed to buy narcotics. You're not allowed to buy cigarettes. And the reason for that is that those things are harmful to people. So why not apply that to food, food that is carcinogenic? Like processed meats are a class one carcinogen, according to the World Health Organization. So if you're not allowed to use food stamps to buy cigarettes because they are a class one carcinogen, why are you allowed to use food stamps to buy processed meats that are also a class one carcinogen? It just doesn't, it seems very inconsistent because obviously the people who are eating the carcinogenic, disgusting food, it hurts them. So the people who benefit from it are the big corporations who make it. There is food that we know hurts people. You know, it makes people sick. It gives people diabetes. It gives people heart disease and cancer. Why do we subsidize food that makes people sick, but we don't subsidize food that actually, like, can contribute to people's health and well-being? When he was a kid, Moby says he ate as much junk food as he could get his hands on. What is junk food to you now? Like, what is the junkiest thing that you eat? The junkiest thing, hmm, when I'm home... And this might be a really boring answer, but like the junkiest thing I'll have would be, I don't know, organic kale chips, which I know (laughs) is like, as far as junk food goes, that doesn't even really qualify. So I'm sorry to have such a disappointing answer. That's okay. It actually makes it better. I like that answer. (laughs) And that was Moby's last meal. His new memoir, Then It Fell Apart, is available wherever you get books. And as you heard earlier, all of the proceeds will be donated to animal rights nonprofits. Thanks to Mike Osborne, owner of Sazio's Produce. Follow them on Instagram for fruit updates. It's spelled S-O-S-I-O. And also I want to note that he sounds like this really grizzled kind of sailor who probably has a beard down to his knees with like birds living in it. Go to my Instagram and look at my stories because I have a picture of him. And you will be surprised by what Mike looks like. The face does not match the voice. Your Last Meal is produced by Laura Scott and me with recording help from Aaron Mason. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Rachel. It's our weekly hi. (laughs) (laughs) Our theme music, as always, is by Prom Queen. Make sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because that's what I'm supposed to ask you for, even though it feels weird to tell you to do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's so uncomfortable trying to promote your own podcast. Give us the highest score. Yeah, give me an A, teacher. Exactly. Just do it. Tell me I'm the best. I'm pretty, right? Go do it. And we have some really fun episodes coming your way. Actor and winemaker Kyle McLaughlin. He's from Twin Peaks and my personal favorite, Trey on Sex and the City in Portlandia. And Lauren Weedman, who is a very funny actor and also a very crazy and strange woman. And crazy and strange are two of my favorite characteristics in a person. Gotta love the weirdos. So that's all coming up. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. trying to think like what his last name would be like this and that was moby moby's last meal it's like there's like you want this kind of rhythm to it i guess dick moby 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 Moby. dick moby dick